Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hi. You know that movie you always wanted to see, but you didn't for whatever reason? Well, I call those black hole films. Everyone has them, and this podcast aims to do something about that. I'm Jeremy Lalonde, and every episode I'll be joined by one or more guests to watch a film that at least someone in that group hasn't seen. We'll talk about our expectations of it before it, and then our thoughts after it. This is episode four, and I'm joined by Jessica Greco, an actor who's been seen in such films as The Animal Project and Anti-Birth, and who was also the producer on the web series That's My DJ. Also joining us was Eric Johnson, who was a series regular on The Nick as the guy that everyone hated, and has also recently been seen in Fifty Shades Darker. Joining us in the second half of the podcast is head film critic from Now Magazine, Norm Wilner, who also runs the Someone Else's Movie podcast that you should check out if you have not already. And at least two of them sat down and watched a movie with me. I haven't seen... Like, basically, mm. people post his list, and I go, yeah, I haven't seen any of those. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen any Oh, this is the greatest hundred movies of all time list? Yeah, I've I seen, seen one. It. Oh, you know what Because you did? included Snow White. But it's also, like, I was the kid that, like, went out and sought out, like, my own private Idaho when I was 13. Like, those were the movies that I went for, as opposed to the big classics. I went for, like, weird Gus Van Sant films. So I was just all over the map with everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see that... And I wanted to see everything old mm-hmm. and everything. Like I don't have a genre I love. I love everything. So let's go around just so everyone can connect a voice to a name. Voice in it. I'm Eric Johnson, and this is my voice, and that was my name. Oh, my turn. Uh, I'm Jessica Greco. Similarly, this is my voice and my name. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, nice and name. I'm Jeremy Lalonde, and we are watching Life is Beautiful. Um, so I have not seen this. This is the first in the podcast series that I have not seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jessica. I have not seen it. I have seen it. <laughs> A very funny thing happened on the way here. You guys brought two items. Can you talk about them? Okay, so, um, first of all, well, you go first. You go first. Uh, well, I, just, I just brought I just brought sparkling water. I, I dig sparkling water. It's a thing. I like it. And yours is from? Uh, Italy. And Jessica, yours is from? My, mine is German. However, mm. I am Italian. So <laughs> doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> so in the so what mine's, I mine's bigger. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Yours is bigger. Yeah. What what I do know about the film is that it's about German occupation of Italy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna see how you feel about your water <laughs> choice by the end of the film. I feel like I knew that latently, but also this was bigger, so I I I, I made I did oh, not. Oh, so German water choices. is better because it's bigger. That's correct. That's, wow. that was. I my... can see how maybe there was like a superiority complex my... brewing at some point. <laughs> and when did you see the film, Eric? You saw the film. Uh, I saw the film. I think it was after it won the Oscar. She just jumped on that bandwagon because it won an Oscar. Yeah, and, and again, this is going back into the yeah, time yeah. of blockbuster, and it's like you're walking, wandering around blockbuster, going, ah, I don't know what I'm gonna. Bring home and you know what are we gonna watch and 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 I think it was one of those I knew it was gonna be kind of a sad movie and like I don't feel like watching a sad movie and I think I was either it was a moment of emotional weakness that I'm like <laughs> I feel like being sad or it was like my wife feels like being sad so then we were sad together <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not entirely sure so it's a while ago now that was I I don't know when did the movie come out when was it released oh god put it right here uh, it says. It's always in a different space in the back. Oh, God. Some nerd on the internet has already 
mad. Scre- screaming it at me. That's How okay. do you not know? The entire con- country of Italy is mad at me right now. It's true. Oh, God damn it, I can't find it. I'm looking... Ugh. It would be quicker if we did a Google search. Yeah, let's see. Um, why haven't you seen it? You own this movie. Shouldn't it be like Oscar winner, blah, blah, blah? On the front? It, do- it doesn't say where. Anyway. It's probably mid-90s. mid-90s somewhere. Can't be mid-90s. Is it mid-90s? Someone is get it, their phone is out. Is it that old? Phone out. I'm yeah. going to say late 90s. Late 90s? Oh my uh, 1998, best actor. Boom, goes the diamond. Wow. So, I was close. Mid to late 90s. Roberto Benini. Uh, so that was 98. So this is almost 20 years. Holy crap. Yeah. So I bought this movie. I don't even know why. I've had this movie for a long time. Yeah. I think I got it when at one of those like movie warehouse sales where it was like, Movies three bucks kind of thing. Yeah, and I saw it because I'd never seen it. I'm like, I'm gonna buy it, and then I'm gonna watch it finally. And I haven't because I've always been worried about. I just, it's one of those movies that I felt like I had to be in a certain mood to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just never kind of got around to it. I couldn't find that mood. And, yeah, and I generally, <laughs> I don't love Holocaust movies in general. <laughs> it's, I don't think that's like, <laughs> like, 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 says, you know what I love. You know, I love a I good Holocaust. Holocaust. No, but you know what I mean. But it was Sci-fi also and Holocaust come on, movies. put on the popcorn. We're watching the Holocaust movie. <laughs> well, my my kids are done with the Marvel movies, so now we're gonna go through the Holocaust yeah. movies one by one. <laughs> oh my god! This is the, the Ant Man of Holocaust and movies. They're gonna yeah, love uh, X Men because there's a Holocaust I Marvel yeah, no. cross. Okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Marvel crossover. Well, there is. No, I understand. Yeah, this first one opens with the Holocaust. This so, um. And also, this was this came out like right when it was that era of like cliches of every foreign movie being a Holocaust movie in the Oscars forever. Uh, I mean, they made that joke on extras with um, uh, Jerez and yeah, and, and saying like you know, oh, she's uh, oh, Winslet. Kate Winslet's doing this this movie about a nun and Nazis as, as Oscar bait, and it worked. I mean, it was it's it's still a thing. You yeah, know? no, that's just it. So it was, but I know this one's different because it's sweeter. Well, it's Italian, and it's it's, it's sweeter. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, it is sweeter. I mean, he's uh, I mean, he's a famous Italian comedian. So, I'm, like, so I've been excited to watch it. He's. Uh, it just happened. And why haven't you watched it? Um, I didn't. I this. Oh, I'm gonna get. Because so you hate reading. Trouble. Yeah. Really? That's the reason? I didn't think, well, first of all, it came out in 1998, so for all those doing the math, then I was probably about 17. And you couldn't read yet? I wasn't a good reader, actually. Oh, oh. I learned to read late in See life. what I did? And now you feel that. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't learn how to read until I was about 11 or 12. And that's why you bought the German water instead that's of the That's why Italian. I bought the German water. No, it's, so, I mean, foreign, like, if, if I was going to go to the movies and watch something that was um, not, like, a mainstream film, I didn't, I just, that just didn't appeal to me. That felt like too much work. I was like... You know, I, I didn't want to work that hard at it. So with that, I think we should get started. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh everywhere! The sound of Italian water spraying, spraying it in excitement and victory. <laughs> you need there. You go. Oh, you got it. Nice. See the, ger- the German water. No, God. <laughs> the German water was worse. <laughs> Bastards. All right, let's watch a movie. It's a wet t-shirt contest. Let's let's watch all the right, movie. Yay! Yay! Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Okay. Um, so we've been joined by Norm Wilner. Hey. Who, uh, Norm? Why didn't you want to sit and watch the movie? With us? <laughs> um. It was, I want to say, 19, it's 19 years ago, right? Like 19, Yeah, we, we figured that out while we were, we were trying to figure the year um, out. 
I have no need to see it again. I, I saw it in 1998. I saw it, some of it again when the DVD came out, or the VHS tape at the time, uh, and uh, was uh, so thoroughly traumatized by the, the public response to my column then, uh, saying, guys, come on, this is terrible. And um, yeah, no, I, I don't need to see it again. It's it's seared into my memory. The, the Benini uh, uh, effect has guaranteed I will never forget most of it, but ugh. Ugh. We, I, I'm so sorry. How did you guys take it? Before we start, I want you to know uh, Jessica and Eric both brought waters. <laughs> um, Eric brought... Mine was Italian. <laughs> Mine's German. Um, Mine's empty. <laughs> Mine is still... She, she, <laughs> couldn't, she couldn't bear to keep drinking. Yeah. And I am Italian, so this feels wrong. I'm very sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, okay, so what is the Italian-Canadian experience of Benini? Because I... I've, I've, I'll, I'll, I've got I've got material. I've got a type five on him, <laughs> but I find him absolutely fascinating as a figure because in the '90s he really just dedicated himself to escalating offense. You know, Johnny Stacchino, he's a he's mistaken for a mobster, and mm. in uh, in Il Mostro he's mistaken for a serial rapist and also murderer. And then with that was the next film. And then with this, it's like, how do I make people love me even more? I know Holocaust. Yeah, we made lots of Holocaust jokes before this started about how there was just like a moment in time where Holocaust movies were sort of um, pre- the cliche. Sort of, yeah, this is cliche Yeah, Jacob the Liar was around the same time. Yeah, right? um, I, the Italians. Were, I mean, I don't know. I, I I haven't been exposed probably to enough Italian cinema, but this felt very um, stereotypical. This felt like very much like every trope that they could pull out. Mm-hmm. And turn into sort of like at least the first part of the movie into like a Pink Panther Italian thing. I I yeah. He also I thought I could follow the Italian, but his Italian goes so fast that oh, yeah. I that I couldn't. Just at the all. delivery though. The just record. the delivery was just rolling all over itself. That I was like trying to read all the subtitles really quickly. I don't know. I I don't know. He's very he's 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 a clown, right? He certainly that's the that's the pitch, right? That, that's his character. The the wacky. Uh, outsider, and even more so now in this one because he's Jewish and he's not supposed to be part right. of the culture and the whole. I mean, even before you get to the camps, you've got that whole first act where he, the second act too, where he's wooing the the. Gentle yes, princess. I took I took some particular offense to the wooing of the Principessa because it's like his wooing was like meeting her and then like just putting his mouth all over her and then kidnapping her. And being a crazy person in the car, that's what killed me, is he kidnaps her and he's just, like, laughing and, like, not watching the road and raining and, like, crashes the car. It's supposed to be so incredibly charming. Her dress rips off. like And the whole time manipulating her with other things, misdeeds he's done to make yeah. her think he's some magic yeah. person. Yeah. If I do this, then you'll have to kiss me. Like, it was, the, it was very uh, off-putting. I did not like the wooing at all. I liked him best when the Nazis got him. How do you... <laughs> How do you prefer to have your wasp stings sucked, sucked out of my leg yeah. by a stranger? Is it like a third date mm-hmm. kind of thing for you? By, no, by someone I've never met. That's usually how I like it done. I That's like, my preference. Yeah, for sure. someone yeah, I've sure. never met to just walk up and to French kiss my thighs. Usually. How it's, I mean, that's that's the, how it's done generally. See, at the beginning, because we, that was the first thing we meet him in, and she just shows up, I thought they were already together, and this was, like, playful, like, couple stuff. And then oh. I'm like, oh, no, you're strangers. Yeah, that's different now. <laughs> yeah, times have changed a wee bit since, uh, yeah. since then. That's not my first move when I meet a random stranger. And no one goes looking for her either. Like, he kidnaps her from from the opera, 
and her her fiance is bringing the car around, and then she's just missing for the rest of There's the night. There's no comeuppance to that. No. No, that also, was totally fine. And there was a beat missing. We noticed he had his original hat back at one point. So there was yeah. a scene that was deleted at some point where that hat was... The hat game. There's no way those eggs survived the whole day. <laughs> Not with the way he moves around. No. 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 No, he's a force of nature. He really that's, is, that's and I, I will, I will say that there, that that physical performer and that type of comedy. It's this movie could have been done in in the forties. Yeah, in so many different ways, in terms of even how it was staged, in, in terms of like, uh, if you think back to the pace of the jokes and the style of the jokes, it was very uh, earnest and. And so innocent in so many ways, right? It, despite like the like, totally perverted parts, where like, oh, you're just gonna suck on a random woman's thigh. Cool. But you know, like, you know, at the time, it's it's it, it was it's like this sort of cutesy, you know, this cutesy clown. You know, he's very it's very Jerry Lewis in a lot of ways. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I think what surprised me about the movie when I first saw it, and again this time, is the change that happens. It's two movies. It's two, it's two totally separate movies. And I think like the, it's, it's part one and part two mm. and part two is they spend all the part one just trying to be endearing and, mm. and they are when they got the they set you up for the fall. And then, and then the, the second half is gut wrenching. And the thing that surprised me the most about him as a performer is how, uh, there was some really wonderful, honest moments that he had where the clown wasn't on screen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that moment for me that I think my favorite moment in the movie was when he's with the the doctor. Yeah. uh, And you think he's going to help him out. And then, you know, he just wants help with the riddle. Yeah. And it's just like, ugh. Yeah. But you're just as bad as all of them. And and, and how he played it and so still and so... Small. So small. And I mean, for somebody who's such a larger-than-life character who talks so much, the moments where he was small and quiet were really powerful. It's like... It's uh, there's a lot of charm. We, I think we were equally appalled at the the safety of certain aspects, like the child on the bike and the and the puppy on the tray walking uh, through the crowd, and like, oh my god! I mean, where are all the other things of the dog jumping off or falling down? Or yeah, you know, yeah. well, they, well yeah, as you said, they clearly stapled or glued it. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, I was obsessed with the art direction, though, just like the color palette of mm-hmm. Italy and then the color palette of the camp and. Just the use of color in general and costume was really cool. That really felt authentic to me. That felt like a like a proper European film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for all the problems I have with Benini himself, the technical package, the people he's mm-hmm. assembled, I can't fault that. Yeah. The the scene in the mist, the scene in the fog. Yeah. That's really great. And in a way that makes me hate the movie even more because <laughs> it comes right up to the edge of acknowledging what this film is really about mm-hmm. and then pulls back because he has to be the hero, like he has to be the um, the the Jerry Lewis and the Chaplin character. He has mm. to be the tragic figure that's also the comic savior. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're assuming the people listening to this have already seen the film, right? Well, all right, I, all right. for the most part, yeah, sure. sure. I mean, like yeah, yeah. major spoiler alert yeah, here for the very yeah. end. The Germans lose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but he wins. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, his, Benini, like he loves himself too much to allow himself to die on camera. But you also... It's that weird, cowardly thing. That's interesting, because I was very upset. I was like, no, he didn't... Di- no. But actually, I, I disagree with you there. I disagree with you in that, that as much as that self-love is like, that's you don't see any of that violence actually in the film. 
Right. That's the problem. And, and I think that's, I don't know if that's the problem. I think that's, it's, it's trying to experience that through a very sheltered POV mm-hmm. as that's what the whole movie's about. And then the one moment that you get the grasp of it is when the kid is asleep and can't see it. And the moments of the utmost brutality are the ones that the kid doesn't see. That's true. Yeah. And I mean, so there is, there is that restraint. And I think, I think it's also worse when you don't see certain things as, as opposed to make it, I think it would be more self aggrandizing if it was like, you know, up on a cross in a blaze of glory with arms splayed out, you know, I yeah. think, and I have no other reference to his, to his performances. Okay, I've so never yeah. seen a single thing, other thing he's done. I have no other frame of reference than seeing him at the Oscars stand on his chair and be, <laughs> yeah. and be equally as larger than life and ridiculous. And, and in a way, like you've got to think that there's got to be a time when that's going to be super annoying if you're like hanging out with that guy. <laughs> but at the other time it's like, it's incredibly ridiculous and charming because he's and just refreshing and he's just willing to do something that somebody else is, isn't willing to do like sucking a Wasting out of somebody's thigh, but I, that's that's my only frame of reference for him. So I, there's no like, I had I've never seen another movie. I've never seen anything else that he's done. So it's not it it's not colored by that at all. Yeah. See, I, and I think that's how the Weinstein's were able to get the film to the Oscars and get mm-hmm. get the awards that they got. Yeah. And, I mean, best actor. Mm-hmm. He yeah. has like it's the same performance he always gives. That's, right. But there's no context for it. Yeah. So yeah, you think it's amazing yeah. and bold. And then he worked the press. Brilliantly. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've interviewed him. I, I yeah. met him when Johnny Stacchino came to TIFF, I guess. Yeah. Uh, 1992 or 1993. Right. And his English is fine. Uh, he doesn't uh, struggle. It's all an act. Like, yeah. The whole thing was just, he, he built this character for himself and brought it to Canada, America, and Canada yeah. then, but brought it to America for the Oscars and pushed and, and tirelessly humped for his movie. And that plus the subject matter, yeah. the source material, all the all the self-importance and the actual historical relevance just carried it through. Yeah. And I just, I find it so amazing that uh, when he did win best actor, he was standing on Spielberg's chair, yeah. uh, which, you know, I cannot think of a better metaphor. But yeah, no, if you've seen any of his other stuff, this yeah. is the same stuff, but it's draped in this. It's draped with him, to Nazi and the Holocaust yeah, exactly. and like this, this, that sort of like instant, yeah. Sympathetic, like was we were saying, like the, the Oscar bait of, of he, the Holocaust. He built himself a, a suit out of other things. Yeah. So your hatred for this movie is contextual, based on other films of his, uh, and based on. Well, I mean, I think just the general, the, the cynical mm-hmm. Holocaust milking that had happened right around the same time after Schindler's List. Where yeah, Schindler's List, the penis. It's, um, yeah, yeah, it's sort of the the collision of opportunity, and mm-hmm. the, the penist is great too. Mm-hmm. Those are the two. I would yeah. Hold mm-hmm. up, uh, but. Um, Life is Beautiful, Jacob the Liar, a handful mm-hmm. of other stuff that came out of Europe around the same mm-hmm. time. They're Did all... he direct it? No. Did he? Yeah. He directed this? Oh, yeah, yeah. Wrote, directed, uh, starred. It's, oh. That's his thing. Oh, it's a, oh. He's like Italy's Woody Allen type. Uh, Tom mm-hmm. Cruise's Tom Cruise in a Tom Cruise film. Yes, Although yeah, Tom Eddie Murphy Productions. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, So this yeah. is just this is his vehicle entirely. This is his deal, yeah. He's he's always only done that. Like and he less. always works with Nicola. You Cash. like it less. I like it less. <laughs> I do. I like it. Why less. is that? I'm curious. Because you can feel the strings being pulled now, right? Like now, now it. it feels. Yeah. Now, now you see the contrivance. And that's what I meant about him not being willing to kill himself on camera. He's just like, I get that it's framed as protecting yeah. this child, but his entire construction, the whole movie, is built so that he can look noble without ever. 
suffering yeah. on camera. Or, or yeah. you know, those anvils looked heavy. He looks hungry. He acts hungry. <laughs> yeah. And he, he, like as a performance, it's fine. Yeah. But every scene is designed to make Roberto Benigni the best man in the world, and to the point where the deck stacking just like brings in actual Nazis to make it. I'd also love to know a line count on his female lead. His female lead says maybe a total of 15, 20 lines. Yeah, not a lot. Well, and, and this is, I mean, that's Mrs. Benini. Uh, that's, they're, they're married. They're no! Married. Yeah, oh, you didn't know? Oh, for Christ's yeah. sake. Well, cause and that's, well how else, how else? No! I, I made that up. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, that's also why they're so, like... That's why Along so in years, in the wooing stage, you know? Like, you're yeah. saying, like, her mother looked the same age as her. And yeah. it's like, you're clearly in your 40s and unmarried in Italy in 1939. <laughs> I don't know if that's really a good thing. Yeah. Well, and this is the thing that uh, that they told me, because I interviewed them together yeah. for Stacchino. And he said that the audience expects them to fall in love, so he doesn't even bother to write that anymore. He, he openly said, you know, like, we don't, we, we don't need to worry about that. The two of us are going to have a relationship in the movie. It's just a matter of how it happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, the way he said it was, when she meets me, she will love me. Mm. And that's, yeah, that's him. That's his thing. Like, he takes so much for granted. Just just threw up in her mouth for those well, who can't see. I feel like the more we talk about it, the less I like this movie. <laughs> sure. Then I've done my job. Sure. Well, it's more, the more you just kind of poison the well. The more you pull back the layers and the more you see the, the, the strings and, the, and it's so easy for the cynicism to come in and go like, oh, fuck you guys. Right? It's like, oh, you knew you were doing this. Like, we joked earlier about uh, the bit in Extras. With uh, Kate Winslet playing the nun and and the whole thing, like she's just Oscar. doing it to get an Oscar now. You know, yeah. this is my Oscar paid. And that wasn't cynical. And then making the reader another Holocaust movie, yeah, yeah. actually does get her the Oscar. Yeah, which, again, just, <laughs> it's which was I, I thought she was amazing in the movie. She's very good in it. But the movie again is designed yeah. to get her an Oscar, right? It gets that. But really, I push. mean, like, how far back do we pull and go? Like, I, I, it's. It's so everything's contrived in that movie. What like, was like, the I, first major like Oscar Holocaust movie? I ask you because you'll know this, Norm. I'm assuming uh, Selfish Choice probably was the first big one. Like Street won an Oscar for that mm. because of the midsection flashback performed entirely yeah. in Polish, where she's Selfish Choice is one of my black holes. Oh really? So, it holds I, up. I had no idea there was a Holocaust element to it. Oh, well, I just knew like really find out what the choice was. Ah. <laughs> There's uh, one. Uh, <laughs> moving on from that, I can just hear people running to Google right now. <laughs> what was Sufi's choice? That's the Google choice, and, the Go- and Google will just say, "Please don't ask." What's, what's the? What's the? What's the? What, go to the Wikipedia. I get the calls. Oh, I mean, ask Siri. Ask Siri what's the yeah. choice. Oh, can Siri sigh and just go? You're like, uh, uh, I can't tell you. You have to find it yourself. Um, yeah, I, the first major winner would have been. I mean, assuming you're talking about a movie. It's yeah, 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 yeah. Just the history Although of the Holocaust Although there were probably movies. two or three documentaries before that as mm-hmm. well to deal with it. What surprises me is that that, that subject matter wasn't tackled in the 70s or in like even in the 60s. Like you're talking like 20 years well, after. Well, there's like the pawnbroker, I guess. That yeah. was 62, 63, Rod Steiger. Yeah. Did he win an Oscar? No, he won for In the Heat of the Night. Um, no, Putty won. He was nominated. Uh, it, it rippled through, yeah. but I don't think until Spielberg showed that there was a way to make that story work. Right, because it's so by just, brutal. Yeah, by just refusing to soften it. And, you know, Judgment at Nuremberg talked around things, yeah. but there was no historical, yeah. actual commitment. And there were... Um, Casablanca talks about concentration camps, like they're just... A, 
Like a place you go when you're bad. Labor camps, right? right? Like yeah. they didn't know what they were. No, no, that's what's interesting. Yeah, but yeah. we watched that was the first one we did with this. And it's interesting the way that they clearly had no idea what they were when they made that movie yeah. during the war. In 42, it was probably considered like a dissidence camp or something. Yeah. They didn't actually know what was going mm-hmm. on. And then once, I mean, that, that Netflix series is on right now, Five Came Back, once people went there, filmmakers actually saw the war, saw the footage, got, got what people needed to see. It took another 10 years for that footage to filter through before people could actually look at it and understand what had happened. It's, it, it was something that was dealt with in the abstract for decades mm-hmm. in, in terms of Hollywood productions and European films barely even touched it and in the 70s why? I think it was just too fresh too raw no one to talk about it Incompre- too many too incomprehensible many, too many. how do you and, and, and the survivors people, are still there and like you don't yeah. you don't talk about like things that are it's like even people coming back from the war didn't talk about the war mm-hmm. and then the war stories that did come immediately after were, were only hero stories yeah and it was basically propaganda so yeah. like Audie Murphy stuff yeah yeah it's all hero stuff we're, you know we're not going to deal with the actual trauma and the shell shock and, and yeah. you know that stuff didn't start until make Germany we, great again yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they came yeah. close with like the Weiler's best Years of Our Lives, yeah. I guess. Is that... Was that Wyler shit? No, it wasn't Wyler. It was... Uh, I'm sorry. It's late and I can't remember. Was there a level of embarrassment to it, perhaps? People sort of being embarrassed, but not... I think I just wanted to make a turn, too, and be like, yeah. now we want to be positive. So we went through so many years of hardship. Mm-hmm. Oh, so let's not look at it? Let's well, just well, look sure. But it's easy to have Nazis as villains. That went on for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Right. And there was German evil as a, as a, as a, a go-to mm-hmm. in the commercial stuff. But I, I think part of it was there was no mechanism to tell the story without reducing it instantly to just a, an impossible challenge. You'd need thousands of extras. You'd need you could I tell see. like movies like Exodus came out in 1960, yeah. and that was because of the Holocaust. This had to happen. Mm-hmm. But the Holocaust itself was this thing, this cloud that no one dealt with. Like it wasn't until. The pawnbroker uh, dealt with a Holocaust survivor, and then you had a few years, like, that was 62 or 63, and then the producers was in 67, mm-hmm. and that made fun of it, and that yeah. seemed to kind of loosen things. And there were survivor narratives, but again, nothing about the camps themselves. Yeah. They were always just this thing that no one escaped from, or if you did escape from it, you never talked about it, or mm-hmm. you were liberated. Um, and I'm, there's a oh, there's something, there's a blind spot in the early 70s, there was a film that dealt with it, and I can't remember what it was, but then it was immediately, a serious treatment was immediately reversed by Marathon Man and the boys from Brazil, where, you know, they're, they're cartoon Nazis mm-hmm. running around, they're, and they're old, and that's, that's the other thing, they started to, to acknowledge that it had been 30 years since the war, and Right. then people were older, and so you could have kind of a, 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 a way of addressing it. The next, the next generation or the generation after. Yeah, and the, the generation of kids that had grown up, the movie brats that came up with memories of it in the backs of their minds from TV or with the relatives not talking about it, they could deal with it that way. That's how the stories got started to get told in the 70s and 80s. And that led to, um, I mean, you know, Raiders, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, where the Nazis are perfectly kitted out and, and like just aesthetically really pleasing to look at. They have amazing jackets and cool tanks. It's Hugo Boss. Yeah. Hugo Boss you designed the uniform. If you're yeah. going to design they're, fascism. They're, they're, they're yeah. Sh- like, yeah, they're sharp uniforms. Mm-hmm. But right around Scary the same time as, as, uh, uh, as Raiders, you've got Claude Lanzmann finishing up Shoah, which came out in 1985. And that was, I think, the first time, with, again, with no footage, historical footage. It's all present day 1980s stuff. 
of the camps mm-hmm. in, in Germany and, and Poland. And you got then, Star Wars doing its own take on it. Well, yeah, and Lenny Riefenstahl made a science fiction movie. Yeah. Wait, what? Well, Star Wars is basically a, a take on Nazi Germany. What? Well, the, well, the visuals. There, there's a lot of the stormtroopers and stuff. There's a lot of quoting of Triumph of the Will in certain mm-hmm. shots and things. But there's really? also a lot of World War II flying ace movies in there. Like, mm-hmm. That was what Lucas yeah. used. He... he built the uh, the dogfights in space, the TIE Fighters and x right. and he built that out of um, the Dam Busters, right? That was the one he used? I think so. But it's also, it's Kurosawa's um, uh, Hidden Fortress for the structure. I mean, Hidden Fortress opens with two people, uh, two Japanese uh, guys, like their they're servants, Factoda, uh, one tall and thin and one squat and round, walking around waiting for the next battle. And you watch that and you're just like, oh. <laughs> I know what that is. Yeah, yeah, and and Lucas was completely open about all the stuff that inspired him right up until he became his own myth maker and started saying, right. you know, this was an originally a nine part series and whatever. And he lied. He makes uh, he makes stuff up. Well, George Lucas says a lot of things, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, the, he's never really talked about the Riefenstahl stuff. Although the visuals are really they're undeniable. It's clear you've seen those movies and you know you can see the parallels. You guys, while we were watching Eric and <clears throat> Jessica, that scene, <laughs> just so you guys tense up and start like moving around and shifting, is that one scene where he comes in and starts explaining like the tattoo and why he mm-hmm. got the number to the kid, just really, and the kid's not buying any of it. Yeah. Uh, those are the scenes for me that I thought were, were deemed like the falling points of the movie. Like that and the thing with the waiter, not the waiter, but the doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like those, there's, there's enough moments in there that I'm like, I get why this movie did what it did. I still see the flaws that, that you point out, but it's like there's like that. You know, I found the opening, <clears throat> the first hour to be a bit kitschy, kitschy and repetitive, super kitschy. Yeah. yeah. And given that you know where it's going, right? Because mm-hmm. the only way that I works got lulled, is... I got lulled into like, oh, well, that's this how is, he's supposed to. Right? This is mm-hmm. this is oh, oh yeah, here come the Nazis. It's yeah. gonna be sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, to some extent, you almost like I don't mind. I don't mind that it spent an hour telling that first half because you have to know what was lost. And you know, I, you got to think that even at the time, if you're a kid at that time, it, it's, it, it was just day to day. And all of a sudden, like you're doing something different. Like you don't really have the context that, that an adult would have in terms of it's a war, of what's yeah. changing, you know, again, war and, and how everybody's behaving differently. And the thing about his, the way he approaches things is he's, it's, it's just, he turns everything into laughter and a joke and, and, a, and, uh, uh, and so, despite the fact that he goes to school and he has to do the thing and talk about how he's a superior race, and he makes an ass out of himself and takes off his clothes in front of all the children, making them laugh. I mean, that's just, I think, you know, that you don't know how bad it's going to be until you get there, right? Yeah. So, there is there is those people who make jokes all along the way as you're marching into hell. Yeah, when and, the kids are like, why can't we go in there? It's like, well, some of the Chinese and yeah. the kangaroo can't go yeah, to the yeah. store. And that's just how... Yeah, what are you afraid of? Spiders. No spiders in Visigoths, right? Yeah. And, uh, it, it, you know, and it's I found it, again, because I have no other previous reference to any of his other films. It's the only thing I've seen. It's mm. like, I, I, thought it was, I thought it was charming. charming. Like, there's this I, level of innocence to it. And I like that none of the German was subtitles. I like that you don't know what yes, the Germans are saying. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I stole that from Spielberg too, who only ever subtitles one language, or only ever translates one language in his movies. In, in Schindler's List, everyone's speaking Polish. Mm-hmm. The, uh, ah. the German is, I think that that might be the one where the German is subtitled, but in Raiders and all of his other films in Munich, there's only ever one language mm-hmm. that's in English. 
and you're just made. And Spielberg is a strong enough visual storyteller that you can always understand what's going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Benini, you know, close enough. It mm-hmm. works because we know what Nazis are, and you know. But, but at the same time, that was the thing that just kept pissing me off in that second hour. Someone would shoot him. He is so obnoxious. Well, he, yeah, he would have got shot yeah. when he jumps on the radio and and, yeah, and then yeah. the kid was on there and you're like like they're gonna so there's a kid that's alive. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was the other thing. It was like yeah, there's a kid speaking Italian. I thought we'd put them on the shower. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. And the kid actually good. says he pushes me around in a wheelbarrow and it's not like, he's not very good at it. So I'm like look for the guy in the wheelbarrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is what I mean about him yeah. creating a situation where yeah everything works in the story's favor because it's where he sees it going. Yeah. He's actively denying this hideous reality. And the other thing, uh, the other thing that really pisses me <laughs> off, and this is what I wrote about in the piece, and it was clearly too soon, uh, in, in 1999, I guess, in August, whenever the, vid- the video mm-hmm. came out, was that the thing that no one talked about when it was released is the bizarre implication, and it's totally unconscious, and I'm sure he didn't mean it, but it's there. The implication is that if you had a clever dad, you might have also survived. And it just, it's this bizarre obscenity in the film because it's a fantasy of survival. Right. And no one survived. Right. Yeah. And his weird suggestion that, and it, I'm, I'm sure it's unconscious, yeah. but it's part of this weird narcissism of his where he's saying, well, you know, I will die nobly, but my son will survive, which mm-hmm. means that I'm telling a story of the smartest, savviest person in the Holocaust. Right. And the small, the smartest, savviest person in the Holocaust is still dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and his son gets to survive clueless and traumatized and have no idea. Like, if yeah. you think about the story for two seconds... I want to see the sequel where the son starts piecing it all together. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's actually called <laughs> Life. Life is not that great. Yeah. 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 Or interns that were actually... It's just actually. called Actually. Actually. <laughs> and he's a serial killer. Uh, it's just... No, it's just... Because if you think about this... The only way to accept it is, is at a total fantasy where none of it is real. But then, of course, it becomes incredibly successful and perpetuates this weird false narrative that he's accidentally constructed. I don't know. It just, I felt yeah. that watching it the first time. Mm-hmm. By the end of it, it was just, I couldn't tell if it was my own um, sensitivity, I suppose, towards Holocaust narratives in general. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I'm, I'm, I was born Jewish. I was raised by a family that was yeah. absolutely traumatized yeah. by it. And while I have no religion uh, myself, I certainly understand what it meant to them. Yeah. Uh, to my parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles to see this story told this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's my thing. Plus, I have a, a Benini button, as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm right! You also know. I do think... Sorry. Go ahead, no, go ahead, Jess. I was going to say, I do think it's odd that through the course of the film, especially all the, the pieces in the camp, where the... Because the kid is obviously quite adorable, but quite obstinate. Like, he's very single-minded. At no point does he just turn into a little kid. Like, at no point does he, like, cry. Or, like, cry for his mother or cry for He was mother. trying to earn points, Jess. Yeah, but... One of that tank. But that's what I mean. Like, at no and point did he... He was tank. just... He was yeah. so... Um, he was so incredibly well-behaved. He never became an obstacle, really. He never became an obstacle. Oh, the, oh, the closest thing he became to an obstacle is when he was pointing out the truth of the matter, which is, like, they say they're turning us into buttons... Um, yeah. And all the, yeah, yeah, that was horrible. Soap and buttons. Soap, and, soap buttons. and buttons. And he was like, and he wanted to leave. And he like, because he was more obstinate about not taking a bath. Uh, at the house where he like hid and did all that. Mm-hmm. Stuff. I did like that callback. I was like, oh yeah, I didn't. He just wanted to take a shower. Set up the for the shower. Yeah. And like, but how awful it's like. Go get in the shower, and you're like, oh Jesus, yeah. come, oh my God. You know, that's you know that would be the one time yeah, exactly. in, the, in the narrative where he wasn't necessarily the greatest father of all time <laughs> when he's telling his son to go get in the gas chamber. 
Uh, yeah. With the rest of the kids. But at no point does he revert to being... I mean, like, you see him, like, playing with pots and, like, entertaining himself. But he's just the most well-behaved six-year-old of all time. Mm-hmm. Which I found... Because that's the only way he isn't found out, right? The first yeah. tantrum would get him exposed. But it's bad writing. Because but that's just well, it. Like, I kind of yeah. want to see that tantrum mm-hmm. that gets him exposed that actually puts everybody into actual mm-hmm. danger and makes him a liability. Otherwise, having that kid there was not a liability at all. No, and it almost feels like, for the most part, all those scenes are constructed around, look how clever I can turn all of this stuff we know about concentration camps yeah. into stories. Yeah. Into a story. And into most a game games or playing two. on the audience, yeah. not the kid. Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It, to me, it, it the whole film, in terms of even how, like I said before, how it's executed, it feels like the kind of story you would have got in the forties. Like if you were yes. listening to like a yes. radio show, mm-hmm. this would be that version. You know, where we're actually going to sort of dance around the major issues. We may say one poignant thing. Yes. Everything else is going to kind of be clever, and it's it's it's. Uh, Earnest and quirky and and but I mean it totally feel like it, even just structurally and how it just sort of it meanders at times and is repetitive and it's it it, it felt antiquated and yeah, it's got that naivete right like, yeah it well it was like really like the the what we felt. In, in in the in the in the forties and fifties and, and wide like a singing and dancing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, it feels like you the best way to view it is a is a fairy tale. I think it's so. Definitely yes. how he wants it to be perceived. Yeah. yeah. Well, he wants it to be perceived just through the eyes of the kid. Like this is how he recalls it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, but yeah. the kid's not in the first half of the movie. Let's not forget that. No, but yeah. if he was going to tell the story of his father, because yeah. there is sort of a narrative at the end that sort of says, "This yeah. is the story this of how my father saved me. This yeah, was yeah, the yeah. gift that my father gave me. Yeah. I you sucked know. the wasp stinger out of my mom's leg. Yeah. But how romantic was... that was. You know, you mm-hmm. called her a princess and he called her a princess. At the end. But it does almost feel like when you look at it that way, it's like you could believe that all the stuff that happened in that first hour are all versions of how the kid was told it. Exactly. And then we crawled under the table and that was our first kiss. Right, right. And there was an ostrich egg and it fell on his head. I mean, like, there is, like, this total slapstick, old-school comedy that that comes through. Like, like, it's so dated. They wrote, and that's in '98. It's like it's 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 the movie's already 40 years old when it yeah. came out. So here's the, so there's the, that's that's the one thing that I take away. If, if the whole movie, if you're if the artifice is that it's all from the kid's point of view and the memory of the child, then it allows me to forgive all those things because then he's the one making his father into this perfect right. hero. Right. And forgetting all the stuff that he doesn't want to remember and all mm-hmm. the horrors of mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. It wasn't set up that way. Yeah, but it'll, and that and if you follow that through, then you also have to believe that this child who's now an adult has never read a book, has never like and never and, and persisted in his mar- magical innocence even through the liberation. It makes no sense. Right, but what I mean is he, that he would have figured it's that he out. he's telling it the way he remembered it at that point, right. not but what he now not not the blanks he's filled in. Without the context now. Yes. Yes. But that yes. ignores the fact that if yeah. you are telling the story as a flashback, you would like it, it's, it would be a nightmare there is self-aware. to realize <laughs> yeah. just what horrors were going on outside of his yeah. purview. But there, and that's a really interesting story that the film refuses to tell. There would be an interesting remake where you do do it that way. And you make him more of a consequence. And you do play with that. Or just let us know yeah. the kid's not buying it. That all of this effort is being... You know, like it, the kid knows, but he's playing along for the sake of his father. Yeah, if, and for yeah. the sake of his sanity. Uh, yeah, yeah, which could be really interesting yeah. because. Um, However, we cope seen? in moments of stress. And, mm, yeah, did you ever see Soderbergh's King of the Hill? 
Mm-mm. Virtually forgotten, amazing movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something Criterion finally reissued it. It's out there now, and it's A. E. Hochner's memory, a memoir of growing up in the Depression alone with his younger brother after his uh, parents just basically, through no fault of their own, abandoned them. Yeah. In I want to say St. Louis, and it's just the, the second half of the film is just these two kids in a small space with nothing. It's almost like room. Uh, they're just inventing ways to survive uh, while starving. And right. it's, it's incredible and powerful, and um, it was too much, and people couldn't, like, yeah. critics loved it, and the audiences rejected it outright because it was incredibly depressing. I mean, it has a happy ending. Hotchner survived and wrote the book. Mm-hmm. But um, that's how you could handle this with a kid who sees through it yeah. and invents his own game or comes up with something. Mm-hmm. But Benini, I don't think he's sophisticated enough a storyteller to see that. He just wants to make himself the hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't sound like he wants to be that sophisticated. It oh, sounds God. like he likes the sort of candy of it all. Well, yeah. Yeah, I think His last certain... movie was a comedy about being mistaken for a serial rapist and falling what? in love with a detective investigating it. I know. That was the one he made before Life is Beautiful. It's called The Monster. Mm. It's not good. You don't say. Is that a comedy? <laughs> really? I really don't know how that, how that one didn't do so well. Yeah, it was a hit in Italy. Yeah. If, if only... box office gold there. Yeah. If, if only... Yeah. If only that kid kept a diary. Jesus. <laughs> Joshua? Uh, yeah, Joshua's diary. Joshua's diary. The diary of Joshua, what's the last name? Guido? That's, that's the first name. Yeah. Guido? Guido's Guido, the Guido's the first name. Yeah, I don't know yeah. how we ever got their last name. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Uh, oh, boy. Okay, final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts. Um, if you, the more you think about it, <laughs> don't, or if you uh, think about it and all. don't watch any of his previous works <laughs> and come into it with fresh eyes and then turn it off and remember Nazis are bad and jokes are great <laughs> and check your sports scores. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I, I think there's some, there is a charm to this film that it does get me. It, it does where I go like there is. Uh, and, and if you, if you take, you take off the cynicism hat, uh, of, there is a part of it that represents the best and worst in people, you know, it's like, and again, like as is used in, in so many movies the Nazis are the worst possible thing of humanity. And the, what a film like this does is it makes them almost caricatures and it makes them almost inhuman, these monsters. And the reality is, is that they are very human and humans do this kind of shit all the time. But it, it sort of represents like the the light of how to deal with you know horrible circumstances and how people cope and there's there's something lovely in that uh, in in that part of of a story which I which I think I glom onto but it's definitely not uh, definitely not necessarily the most realistic thing it is fantasy yeah yeah Jess oh um. <laughs> Uh, you, you know what? I feel like I really enjoyed the first half of the movie because it felt like something that my grandparents would have wanted me to sit down and watch with them. It had this very throwback, um, Italian comedy of errors, love story thing. And the second part was actually a really interesting, um, take on the Holocaust story that I don't think I've seen before, which is a lighthearted Holocaust story. That being said, I don't know that we need a lighthearted Holocaust story. <laughs> we certainly don't need another 
Well, I just you know another the, one. What's oh, the this, other one? This is plenty. No, yes. Yeah, like, I don't. I it's don't know. Done. I think it's interest. It's an interesting take on the Holocaust story. I, it feels maybe a wee bit inauthentic to the people who actually went through the Holocaust. Like it does have this sort of like light lightheartedness to the point where when he dies, I'm really upset. Why I didn't think he was going to die in the Holocaust, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> but I was really upset about it. I felt like I had been set up for for this like happy ending that I didn't get because that is the nature of this film. So, I mean, I think it'll, I think, yeah, I think I, I think it's exactly the movie that I thought it was going to be 20 years ago and I'm glad I waited to watch it. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I gotta say like, I, I was sitting there going, I don't know why people thought I was going to cry during this movie. That's bullshit. And then the moment when like the son and the mother, you're like, well, God damn it. Well, you, yeah, that's the part. Yeah. <laughs> Not nothing with the dad, but with the yeah. handsome American. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, kid. Right in the tank. Here, let me give you a ride. I, I, I like the tank bit too. I like the tank coming around the kid believing that one last bullshit lie because, because I liked that it felt like it was set up in the beginning when things just would show up and work out for the dad and sure. when he was on the day. I like that call. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I like that not that kind of stuff. I like the the cleverness of the them going into the the garden and yes. then he deflowers her and then she has a child and the deflowers her in the um the greenhouse. Greenhouse, mm-hmm. yeah. There was actually some really beautiful shots in there. There was some. There was some really beautiful moments uh, that that actually kind of blew me away because there's there's parts of it that are very stilted and again antiquated in terms of execution. But there was moments that just sort of existed a little long on a, on a frame that l- allowed a story to unfold in front of you, which I thought were really uh, really powerful and, and well done through the through the the whole bit through the fog. And that shot was. Yeah. Was you know again a really powerful image? <laughs> I don't remember what you said when that happened, but it was it was uh, it was exactly how I was feeling at the moment. Yeah, I think just with yeah. the, the we're talking with a giant pile of bones. Yeah, bodies really. Bodies yeah. just went. Oh God! I like I to na- I like to narrate. No, well, actually, I don't like to. I in, involuntarily yeah. narrate stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so for me, my, I guess my final is to say that I'm glad I eventually saw it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't think I ever need to see it again. Correct. So if anyone would like a copy of this DVD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Just I'm too in now. I think I'm done. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Park this one. Yeah, I think I still yeah. have mine. Yeah. Um, I don't know why. Just as a reminder. Yeah. That life is beautiful. Life is beautiful. I, I and that's it. a good way to end it. Life, <laughs> life is beautiful. This movie's okay. Let's <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us for Life is Beautiful. If you like the show, please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word about it. You can find me on Twitter at Lalon Jeremy and check out Facebook for Black Hole Films. And feel free to suggest any films you think we should cover or ask any questions that you want us to ask. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby. Yeah.